Hey everybody, welcome to Generation Church Podcast, a podcast about everyday people who are committed to expanding God's family because of Jesus for generations to come. My name's John, I'm the engagement pastor here at Generation Church. I'm sitting here with Kyle, our lead pastor. And, and this weekend, Kyle, it was a little different. Um, I ended up preaching this weekend. You kind of got a weekend off, got to be able to sit out there, kind of observe and take stuff in. And this weekend, we continued our series in Known through Colossians 1, and we're specifically in verses 17 and 18. And in this weekend, we see a transition of thought uh, with Paul, and where he's kind of continuing what you talked about in 15 and 16. He kind of sums it up at the beginning of 17, of talking about the past of Christ as before all things, and everything's made through him. But really, he gets to this core concept here in 17 and 18, that at the, for everything to be understood and for things to make sense, it only makes sense when Christ is kept at the center, the one who sustains all of creation in the present moment. So Kyle, let me ask you, I'm going to throw it your way, allow you to kind of uh, steer us in any direction. What questions did you have? What ideas stuck out to you? Where mm. did your train of thought go as we walked through this passage this past weekend? Mm. I loved uh, what you taught this past weekend. And so it was cool for me, just as the pastor and lead pastor of Generations Church, to sit under the teaching of the Word and know that this like I, I I need sermons as much as the next person. So yep. while I'm typically <laughs> the one delivering them, uh, I I need this as much as the next person. And so, so one of the reasons why, just so everyone out there listening knows, the reason why I have John and others preach is because I need to sit under the teaching of the Word. I am not the source of all knowledge or the source of all <laughs> gifting. And there, we're like, we know that. And so yeah. I need to be under God's Word. And so, John, what I took away from your sermon this week was specifically at the end, I thought your imagery using Haggai and the connection that you made that we're going to get to in a little bit. All right. I thought that was I thought that was very clear and brought home this central point of Christ being the sustainer of creation which leads to redemption and creation and redemption are linked. And I thought you were able to paint that picture very well using Haggai and I say that because I, like you, I appreciate the minor <laughs> prophets. I find that the minor prophets just resonate with my soul in a way mm. that, if I'm honest, just other books of the Bible don't. In some ways, it's yeah. because God is, in most of these minor prophets, is chasing after his people, and he wants his people to get it right and to be yeah. in the right relationship. And he's calling out their sin so that they can make changes and mm. repent of their sin and come back in the right yeah, relationship it's not to with point him. Point out their flaw, but it's to bring them back yes. to the wisdom of God. And it's funny that you say that because I remember it was my sophomore year. We were back at KCU, and it was a lot of the time we began interacting, and I began some of my preaching classes. And I was trying to figure out, like, what do I want to preach out of? Where do I feel called? And I remember, I think you were going through a prophet's class during that time, and you began kind of challenging me with some of that. And I was like, you know what? I really don't hear many sermons mm -hmm. out of prophets. They, I feel like sometimes they can often get overlooked, even though they're some of the shortest books yes. in the Bible. Haggai was 
two chapters. Yep. It's kind of nice, a little refreshing read and everything, but it's so rich in its mm -hmm. message. Well, and it catches people off guard, I think, too, when you read some of the language, how strong the language is in some of the prophets. In our politically correct culture, it's almost jarring and unsettling because we're like, how could you say that to people? You're supposed to be man of God and prophet, but yet you're calling out the the people of Israel. You're, you're clearly identifying what God is going to do because of their sin. But I think like you pointed out a moment ago, is you see the wisdom of God. You see the hope. You see God really doing something that links that creation, that sustaining a people and hopes and ultimately providing their redemption. And that God, God always is providing a way out be, th from consequences, from our tune, from just, and we, we see that, let me say this, we see that most perfectly and best. We see it in Jesus. Yeah. And so, John, you talked about that sustaining piece, and I alluded to it right there in some of my takeaway. Why is God being sustainer, Jesus being sustainer? Why is that important? Well, I think one of the important aspects of that is kind of what we've been talking about a little bit in this series is first off, God makes himself known to us in the world and present and where we are because there is this um, kind of corrupted and distorted relationship between us and God. We see at the beginning of creation Man and God have this harmonious fellowship in which God and man are walking side by side together in a garden, and things mm -hmm. are good. And then sin enters the world when man first takes that step in rebellious act against mm -hmm. God. Mm -hmm. And then we see this almost distortion of that image of creation and how Paul described it back in, I think it was verse 13, he describes it as us being in this world uh, this domain of darkness, this mm. brokenness, this distorted creation in which we're in. And we talked about while we were in there of how there's things that happen in this world to us that are unpredictable. Um, we can't really understand exactly why they happen. We almost have to beg the question of why do the righteous, the people who follow God, who have the faith and everything, why do bad things still happen? Mm. And it's because we're in a broken world in which there is sin all around us. There's sin in our neighbors. There's sins in our church. Mm -hmm. And even in some of our hearts, mm -hmm. there's still those moments. And so we see that in this brokenness, in this distortion, that we have a God who comes to us in the midst of that, who had this uh, perfect, crea perfect creation, harmonious relationship. We broke that, and yet he still comes to us. Mm. We continue down in this descent almost, and he continues to go down that with us. And we see that throughout Scripture too. In, my, um, in one of my classes I just finished up for my master's classes, we had to go through this theme of shepherd. And I was kind of like, all right, like, that's an interesting thing to go through, a theme of shepherd. I'm like, I know of the title of like, people being shepherd. And like, I've heard of people talking about like using shepherd as like an illustration, like term of someone. Okay. But it was unique as you go through the story of scripture of seeing God being called shepherd, even Jesus being called that mm. because in, it's almost like direct. And what a shepherd does for his flock of sheep is that he protects them. He nourishes them. Mm. He cares for them and their needs. And that's what Jesus does for us. He acts as this good shepherd, mm. one who protects us in a broken world, one who refreshes us and leads us to this living water 
this new creation in which he lays mm. out for us. Okay. And so in the midst of this, we see Jesus be a sustainer for us in the midst of a broken world and where we almost call back to what Paul's talked about already so far in Colossians. He strengthens us. He gives us endurance. He gives us this peace, this patience, this love. As mm -hmm. we navigate this world and the brokenness, he helps us navigate it. He sustains us in it as we go towards the new creation, the resurrection in which Jesus first did for us. And we're to follow suit in that mm. resurrection because he's the first one and acts as the founder of that. He sets the guideline for us to enter into that resurrection, the new creation yeah. in which he presents. Yeah. And I think, I think your image of shepherd is very appropriate because as you describe there, us living in a world that is, is sinful and broken, and yet you describe Jesus there as a shepherd that protects us, but we don't always feel the effects of, mm. of his protection. And the way, just in my head, the way I'm picturing it is if we're in the bottom of like a deep, dark pit, Jesus doesn't just throw a ladder down to us yeah. and says, all right, climb out. He, <laughs> and he doesn't. And what he actually does is he gets down that ladder and comes down to the pit to give us his hand and, and doesn't just say, okay, now let me get you on the ladder and then scurries off up the ladder and says, okay, follow me quickly. It's almost as if he's right there with you step for step. Well, and as you're, you're still present in the darkness, you're still in the pit, but there's a presence there in Jesus that doesn't immediately, he doesn't snap his fingers and we pop mm. to the top of the pit or, you know, or, yeah. or, or magically, you know, floats up there and, you know, we're instantly cleaned off or anything like that. I'm, you know, mixing yes. metaphors a little bit, <laughs> but, but, but there's a presence with Jesus in that shepherd metaphor and in your sustaining that there's a level of care mm. and proximity to us despite the circumstances. Yeah. And the beautiful picture is what Paul is painting in this passage is that Jesus is sustainer because he is present with us. Yeah. He hasn't just disappeared and left us to our own devices again. Yeah. He didn't just come, live, and then leave. <laughs> yeah. And sweet, you're all on your own. No, there is there's still a measure of that he is present with us. Yeah, and I mean look at the overarching story of scripture and we see God take steps to get closer and closer and closer to his creation. I mean, we go back in Genesis and from when we first kind of leave the garden, like God kind of speaks in dreams, he sends angels and sometimes, but then we get into uh, Exodus and some of the later parts of the Torah and they create a tabernacle at the center of their camp in which God's presence Mm. could be in the midst of that tent in the center of their uh in the center of israel in the mm -hmm. center of them he does that he comes to them and makes a way for himself to be present amongst them mm. as we go on in their nations continue to build they build a temple in which his presence goes there as well mm -hmm. and for a while in which this acts pretty okay but we still see that you know there's still this wrong relationship mm -hmm. mankind kind of goes into this disobedience for a while unfaithfulness and later we see God take the next step and literally come to us in humanity. He takes on human form and mm. comes and lives amongst us. Kind of what you're saying. He doesn't just come down on the ladder, reach out his hand. He gets into the pit and the brokenness and the sinfulness of this world. He comes into mm -hmm. this. 
Mm -hmm. to meet us and to sustain us. And the reason he's able to sustain and be with us is because after Jesus' death and resurrection, really the Holy Spirit, or sometimes in the scripture it talks about Jesus' spirit being Mm. being that Holy Spirit. When people trust and follow Jesus, they are then indwelt with yeah. the spirit so so the presence of god goes from a place to really a person and to to now to a people yeah that being the church and i think that you brought that out very well in this transition and you, you said this quote you said we see that paul is using this imagery of the body to represent the church that it that it wants to refer to the organic unifying and mutually supporting roles of believers with one another as they exercise the fruit and gifts of the Spirit so that they can grow into one body in Christ. And so what you see here in your in your quote and what you're bringing up is these themes of place, person, people, mm. and Jesus being proximate to people in the midst of a broken world, nourishing yeah. his presence is manifest not just in Jesus and what he did, but in his church. Yeah. And so we talk a lot about this around Generations Church, being people where, where you're following God, you're full of the Holy Spirit, mm. and that manifests itself in different ministry ways and different giftings. Yeah. And you mentioned that again in your quote, is everyone's got diff- different gifts that are brought out in the Spirit, uh, through following along with with one fruit, no S, one fruit. Yes, I was paying attention. <laughs> and uh, so here, here's my question, John: Is you have a lot of conversations with people around the area of gifting, of ministry fit, and of being united around this person of Jesus, so that we can then be present in the lives of others. Yeah. And so there may be some of those people who are listening to this who go. So where do I fit in all this? How how does what what role do I play in the body or what role do I play in the church? What's my ministry fit? So what questions would you ask someone to help them identify their ministry fit? Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic uh, question kind of segue into this conversation of people and their gifts. And I guess my first place in which I would just kind of I want to pause for a second and encourage anyone if you do have these specific questions if you do want to meet for coffee this is my favorite thing to do so go to our website go to the team page and where you see a little picture of me there's probably going to be an email next to it just shoot me an email let's get some coffee and have this discussion and some of those questions in which i would ask during that conversation would really begin uh, first around who you are and what you enjoy you know i think one of the things in which I think we can kind of get misconstrued is that um, that there's only a select few places or um, kind of spots to fill in the church. And it's almost like, well, someone's already doing that. Where's something else that something needs to be done? And it's like, well, that's a, I love that thought of someone looking for different places to find um, what's not being covered and what's not being helped with. But really, my encouragement first and foremost is to people is what do you enjoy to do mm. and where are your passions? Okay. Mostly because what you will see out of that is what it helps and ensures is that there's going to be this longevity to it, mm. that there's going to be this passion and drive that's going to lead people 
to want to stay and contribute in this because honestly, I've had moments in my life where I've served and helped in places that haven't always been my cup of tea. I love kids and everything. But for me to go and help in the kids every weekend, I genuinely, I would honestly get burnt out because I love kids. They get under my skin a little bit. I get a little uh, irritated with them sometimes, but I love them and I want them to grow. And so I see the value in that ministry. But for me to do that every week, I, I don't know if I could do that justice because there's other people who have giftings there mm. that are so much more patient, so much more loving and, care, and caring for them than I'll be. And so they'll be able to engage with the kids, have fun with them and everything, and even deal with those moments in which there might be a kid who has a tamper t- uh, temper tantrum. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just like, well, what do I do now? There's going to be someone who's going to have that motherly or fatherly figure and just go, here, let me take care of you, kid. Mm. Um, so that's kind of one of my first questions is where's your passion? Where's your drive? What do you love to do? So that's several questions. That's not a single question, if, if I'm going to be a stickler here. Be a stickler. But, but what, what I heard in that is you asked, hey, what will fulfill you? What brings you joy? What are you passionate about? What is something you're like, ooh, if I could do that, I, w- I would do that. Yeah. And then the other piece is what are the giftings? What are some strengths? What, are, yeah. what, 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 is, what is that gifting? And those are pieces to help them find. Yeah. Their their ministry fit. Yeah. So what 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 what, are, what what other questions or insights might you share around this area? Um. Throughout this conversation, I think one of the other things I would ask them is um, for someone who's done some stuff before. I would ask them how have different roles gone for you in the mm. past? Um, what have you enjoyed? What have you struggled with? And genuinely, one of my favorite questions to ask people, and when they've served in different roles and done different things. What, what at the end of it, do you feel just completely exhausted and burnt out? And what are some things in which you feel full and you feel rejuvenated? Physically, you might be like a little tired, need to go take a nap. But spiritually, you just feel good and happy. Mm. Because I'll give you an example. Preaching and teaching and writing sermons and curriculum. Like, I enjoy that. I like to think it's kind of a strength I've built in myself. For me, at the end of the day, it's not something that I strive to do every week because there is that level of exhaustion that comes with it. I come home and I take a two-hour two power nap after that, but when I go and meet people for coffee and I engage in a one-on-one conversation and I help people find their ministry fit, man, that fills me up and there's mm. a spiritual fulfillment inside of me where I can feel God working and feel God speaking to me. And almost in that conversation, saying like, good job, well done, faithful servant. Like, this is the role in which he's mm. filled me and called me to. And there's a, that passion and drive that comes along with that. Yeah. And we want others to experience exactly what you're describing. Exactly. That's the whole reason for this conversation is because we want others, whether you're listening to this podcast and part of Generations Church or part of another church, we want you to be able to serve God and and again, it's not always going to be easy. Exactly. It's not, you're maybe physically tired at points, but there's a level that you can point to and go, this is exactly why I'm doing it. Because it's either for, it's for the kingdom, because there's a sense of fulfillment, and there's a sense of I'm living in my sweet spot with the way God has wired and gifted me. Exactly. And there are a lot of different tests 
that are used, whether it's personality tests or gifting, or maybe you've even taken a spiritual gift mm -hmm. test or two. And here's some of my insight into that conversation. Whatever, maybe you've used a strengths finder. Yeah. That may just be something where there's it's a marketplace term and they're saying, yeah, you're futuristic or you're woo or you're strategic. <laughs> yeah. Here's what I would say is you go, Kyle, those may not be overly spiritual, quote unquote. There are passages in the Bible that yeah. list several spiritual gifts. Here's my thing. They're, those aren't meant to be exhaustive. These terms from like strength finders and other things, what we can do is we can say, okay, how can you use that strategic thinking within the life of the church? Yeah. And that's what John's saying is, is how he's going to ask you some questions that begin to get you to think, well, you, I, I like to be around people. I like conversations or, man, I, when someone's hurting, like I want to instantly run to them and just give them a big hug. Yeah. We have a place for you. Yeah. And in... We don't have a prescriptive role that says this is all the roles we're trying to fill and we're going to make you fit into our mold mm -hmm. at Generations Church. And some sometimes churches have this box and they have this system and they have this program. That's not always a bad thing. It's not right or it's not necessarily wrong. But sometimes they have this box and all they're looking to do is fill certain slots to effectively run their programs. Mm -hmm. What we have attempted to do in a lot of different ways yeah. Is throw out that box yeah. and meet you where you're at and say, what are your gifts? What are your passions? What brings you fulfillment? Yeah. And how can that be le leveraged so that more people trust and follow Jesus? Yeah. And the kind of segue off of that is when you begin to identify that, really where our passion drives and what we want out of this church is for us to be able to to one, come alongside you and empower and equip you mm. to do the ministry in which God has gifted you. You know, it's not that we just want you to plug in and fill a role. We rather would hope for you to identify the place in which you feel God has called you to serve and just say, awesome, let's run with that. How can we empower you? How can we equip you? How can we build you up so that you can be effective in what God has called you to and how he's gifted you? And some of the ways in which we do, we've done that is you can expect to receive resources and article links and yeah. you know podcasts <laughs> that say hey if you really want to take this next step mm -hmm. we will send you stuff and say go do it yeah make it happen how can we help that's a question John and I I know we we ask often is okay we want you to take this step you take the step and tell us how we can help because that's the question mm. we're, we're going to ask. And, and the, we want to illustrate what Jesus did and where we're not just kind of pulling them along. We get in there with you yes. and walk alongside you as you take these next steps, as you find your ministry fit, as you answer that call in which God's gifted you. Well said. Well said. And what you see in this picture of Jesus is someone is if you even go back if you think about the 12 disciples as there's a, there's an ongoing conversation mm -hmm. what are they learning what are they processing yeah. and for us we take our cue or our and we, we're not going to do it perfectly we're not always going to get it right but we're trying to do our best to take our cue from the example we see in jesus yeah. from his character and his priorities and we see that beautifully expressed and empowering and equipping others
Now, there is this word that you threw out, though, John, <laughs> about Jesus yeah. in, in your sermon. And I just want to make sure we have a good picture of that because we're talking about some different pictures of Jesus. Okay. One of the pictures of Jesus, or the terms that you use associated with Jesus, is preeminent. Yeah. What is preeminent? I, if you listen to the sermon and you're thinking like, ah, I'm not sure I understand what that is. Guess what? You asked. We're here to answer. I should say, John's here to answer. <laughs> John, what is the word preeminent? Why does it apply to Jesus? Where does this come from? Well, I threw out the word preeminent, and it really actually kind of goes back to what you talked about last week in verses 15 and 16, in which preeminent really at its core and the way we use it is that Jesus is before creation. He is at the head. He is the firstborn. He is before all of creation. That Jesus wasn't a part of creation, like he wasn't created, he wasn't just a prophet. He's These blurry images in which we talked about last week, in preeminent, we see that Jesus stands before creation. He is mm. before something. And I even use preeminent to talk about that Jesus is be preeminent of the new creation in which mm. we talk about. And we really see that through his life, death, and resurrection, and this opening of this final judgment in which we talk about the new heavens and new earth or new creation, whatever you want to call it, Jesus stands as preeminent to that. He is the firstborn. He is the first one to go through this resurrection. He's the founder of it. He stands before blank. Does that make sense? Do you connect with that? Do you have any other insight in which you would suggest um, in describing this concept of preeminent? I think you covered it well preeminent is before and i love i love the caveat there of like hey it's it's not even he's he's not a created being and that's why this world word is just so important is specifically in different worldviews and different levels of philosophy as we don't want to mix jesus up with simply just being before all things but he is wholly other he is not a part of creation he is not a created being he is with God. He was God. And it just goes back to the, the tradition of some wisdom literature from Jewish thought. And some of the quotes that are thrown around is that wisdom was God. Wisdom was with God. And, and, and basically the wisdom of God is what brought creation into being. Yeah. And we see the New Testament authors pick up on this thought. And that's where Paul, some of the insight for this him, this excerpt 15 through 20 yeah. comes from, is the created order. Everything that flows from that comes from Jesus being with God, being God, and the wisdom of God being made manifest in the beauty of this created world, and then ultimately fully in the Son becoming Jesus. Yeah. And so I just, if some of you are confused by this term yes let me throw out a couple more <laughs> terms just to make Do it, it uh, a little bit an attempt to make it clear <laughs> let me say that so there's a word thrown around called um uh, om omnipotent which mm. means god is all all powerful yeah and so there is this God before all things, all-powerful. And so that's a word we commonly use associated with God. There's omniscience. God is, God is all-knowing. All, all um, there's one 
like omnibenevolent. God is all good. And then there's omnipresent. Omnipresent. God is present everywhere. See, John, you're you're in my head right we now. We know the omnis. Yeah, 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 oh, we, yeah. The omnis. And so and so you have you have these these omnis. They're they're everywhere and everything. But then what what happens is what you see in Jesus is God basically taking on human flesh, 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 man, <laughs> this, we're, we're on the struggle bus now, but taking on human flesh and in the person of Jesus being embodied, being made manifest, wisdom being present is Jesus isn't present everywhere all at once. His, no. his, de- his deity is veiled. You see him uh, in the scriptures. He asks questions like, hey, who touched me? Yeah, I don't think he's asking that rhetorically. I think he's legitimately asking, "Hey, who touched me?" And so you don't see him always being all knowing. And there's even a time in the scripture where you see Jesus going. Uh, he it says he can't do many miracles, which means mm. there's a limit to his power because of people's mm. faith. I think it's even interesting in one of the uh, passages we see. I think it's in it's either in Matthew or Mark in which Jesus casts out a demon. It says he did so by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Yeah, it's not his own individual yeah. power there. His deity, the preeminent Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ becoming the incarnate Christ. And then we see the incarnate Christ become the exalted Christ, mm. Lord of all. And so I bring up those omnis yeah. for a specific person to say there's this trajectory of Jesus was before time and creation. And then he stepped into time and creation mm. in Jesus. And that's where those omnis come from. Is that those, those are limited as Jesus, as the, the pre-existent Christ becomes... It's a God who chose those to be limited. Yes, chose to be limited in that way. Then, be, as he makes it through the broken creation to be the sacrifice for us mm. through his death and, and conquer death through his retru- resurrection, become... Uh, returns yeah. to to his place with the father as the exalted mm. Christ. And so this hymn, this section of Colossians is describing how we go from creation to redemption, really back to exaltation mm. and and that Jesus is who always was limited himself, underwent the suffering and persecution to show us the wisdom of God made manifest, yeah, and to help us understand how we can express that in our own life yeah. through through the church, and I think really that brings us back to the beautiful picture that I mentioned at the beginning of Haggai, yeah, and the Old Testament depictions and descriptions of how God was trying to get his people to live and be yeah. a certain way as if he is before creation mm-hmm. loved us enough and then Haggai was gonna was going to come in and dwell within creation yeah. and then re- and always be uh lord and, and king of all so just Tell me a little bit more about Haggai, because you, you, you drizzled that in there. Yeah, just just kind of threw it in. Yeah, so, so for those who aren't familiar with Haggai, just give us a little bit of a better understanding of why did you use Haggai in the sermon, and then who was Haggai? So really, the whole uh, reason in 
why I went there is because one of the things we'll see is that it illustrates this concept of God coming first, putting Jesus first before anything and everything else in our life. And that's what we saw out of this passage, that Jesus is first before everything, Mm -hmm. before creation, and even in this moment, he is first. Mm. He should be the first supreme in our life. And what we see in Haggai is we hear of Israel's return from exile. And what I mean by return from exile is that they had to return back to their homeland because they were conquered by an opposing nation that uh, enslaved some of them. Some of them in exile means that they were kicked out of their homeland. And so years and years down the road, that nation in which that first conquered them is no more kind of drizzled out. And the Israelites are allowed to return to their homeland to rebuild their lives, rebuild the temple and everything going on there. And so they return kind of a joyful and optimistic hearts of everything's going to go back to normal and things are going to be good. And then they begin to wonder why things aren't good and things aren't what they used to be. And I love that there's this passage in Haggai in the first chapter where it's in verse six, it starts. And it says right here that you planted it much, but you harvested little. You eat but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never have enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but never have enough to be warm. Mm. The wages, the wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. And basically what he's getting at here is that life doesn't seem to be going as well for them as they mm. thought it would. It always seems like something's undercutting them, something's going wrong. And Haggai comes onto the picture, and what he sees is that they built up these nice houses, they built up their farmlands, And everything around there seems to be going well. And it doesn't make sense until he looks over at the temple, God's dwelling place amongst them at the very center of their city. And it's still in ruins. Mm. They haven't gone to rebuild the temple. And they they use the excuse. And they said, well, it's not time for that. It's not time to rebuild it yet. And Haggai goes, so it's time for you to build paneled houses And he uses this to basically say, build up these rich, big old houses, and it's not time for you to build up God's house yet. Mm. And really what he wants them to see is what comes first in your life. Mm. Is the first thing in your life to build up the materialistic things of this world, what you think might make you happy and full and back to this good life? Or are you putting Jesus and God first and building up And we could use this image of the temple as our relationship with God. Mm. Are we putting Jesus, our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with God first in our life above the other things in this world? And that's where we began getting around to this priorities, the all-consuming thing in our life. What is all-consuming for you? Where's your priority Mm. in life? As you navigate a busy world, as you go from work to relationship to uh, children's activities to input whatever, is your first and utter priority Jesus? Does he come before everything Mm. else? I think those are some very tough reflective questions. So before we start to look at how we're applying that and answering those questions— How did Israel respond to Haggai essentially pointing out, hey, you've got these lavish houses, but God's house is in shambles. And the reason that you plant much and harvest little is because you've neglected the source of where, you know, (laughs) of everything. The the person that, that creates and sustains and then ultimately redeems 
what what what's in what's in yeah. shambles. And so it's interesting to see because right after that, Haggai basically gives them the like kind of a detailed list says, go out, get these pieces of wood. We're going to put this thing back together and everything. And even in the next chapter, we see them starting to put it together, but it's not going as well and not becoming as good as it used to be mm. because there's this um, almost defiled nature in a sense to them approaching and putting together this temple that they're going about it with impure hearts, mm. um, kind of impure thought in that really in which it kind of implies that their mind is at is that it's not first to bring God's presence back, but it's to bring back the blessing in which mm. they used to receive and that they still have this unfaithfulness to God. And yet they're like, oh, if I do these Christian-y things, these things in which we're told uh, to do because God said to do, then things will just be good and I can do whatever I want. Mm. So what you're telling me is that even doing the right activity that the prophet says, if I don't do it with the idea or the premise that I'm doing it because I want God's presence to return and I want it because then my life will be good, that's not a that's not the right heart or mindset that I should have. Let me give you an illustration. All right, you and Ruth, right? So let me, I'm going to give you this illustration. Okay. Say your anniversary comes around. What anniversary are you coming up on? We are coming up on seven years. Seven years. Do I need to fact check you? Or no, no. I'm, we, 2012, 2012, it is 2019. Right. We will, December 29th. I've, right. I've got that down. That's funny. One day after my wedding. Yes, exactly. Hey, we'll be able to help each other remember. Exactly. <laughs> Teamwork. No. See. So, so let me ask you. You decide for Ruth that, you know what, I'm going to do something nice for her anniversary. And I heard this once in a sermon. I'm going to use it on you. Okay. Um, you go out and you're like, all right, it's our anniversary. I'm going to do something nice. I'm going to go buy her uh, some roses. I'm going to get seven roses for seven years. I'm going to, I'm going to buy her a Peloton bike because the, com <laughs> the commercials right yeah. now. It's, oh, wait, we already did that. Oh, yeah, you did. <laughs> but you buy seven roses. You pull up into into your driveway and everything. And instead of just walking in, you go like, no, this is going to be funny. You ring the doorbell. She comes to the door. You hold out the seven roses and everything. You say, hey, tonight we're going to go out on a nice dinner. Away from the kids for an evening. It's going to be a night all about you. And she goes, oh, Kyle, that's so sweet. Why did you do that? And you go, well, I, this is what a husband's supposed to do. And I read this in a book and an article. How do you think that conversation is going to go? She's not going to be as enthusiastic about it as she initially was. Yeah, she's not going to be as happy because your heart in it is just that, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. Now back it up. Say you go up there. You do the same spiel. I got you seven flowers. We have a night out and everything. And you give her the explanation of, I'm doing this because there's nothing I'd rather be. No one I'd rather be with. Nothing else I'd rather do because I love you and I want to show you this tonight how's that conversation gonna go it's gonna go a lot different yeah and so it's really the heart behind why you do what you do and it's the same with god we have this relationship with god and if we're going to him with oh this is just our duty what a christian is supposed to do how are we expecting that relationship to grow and flourish and be a mutual love and respect and just admiration for each other mm. 
when it's just out of a sense of duty, this is what I'm supposed to mm. do. Well, and you've set yourself up here because in your applications, what you gave us is some questions to reflect on of finances, relationships, and downtime with schedule yeah. of you gave us some things to do. And in, in our challenge, I, I think that those were those were well done. And when we look at downtime, when we look at mm-hmm. uh, our schedule and our week. So the Christian who is thinking about what they need to do, mm-hmm. how would you help them or how would you communicate to them to help them go from, hey, yes, I gave you some of these things to do that will give you, be the right behaviors and patterns that puts Jesus first. Yeah. How do you help them experience some of that heart change alongside of those behaviors so that the function of their faith aligns with the the heart and the joy of the faith that we want to see present that you just talked yeah. about and illustrated well with that, that illustration of, of Ruth and I. And so someone who feels like they're on the cycle of do and they're not quite at that place of joy yet. Yeah. What type of encouragement would you give to them that says, hey, don't just do because you're supposed to, but what type of things could you encourage them with to help them experience just just that joy? Yeah. I think one of my biggest things in which I'd suggest is never just do this big checklist of Christian-y things because it's the Christian-y thing to do. Mm-hmm. My encouragement is always try something different. Try something maybe you haven't tried before. If um, your Bible reading begins to feel more of like a chore than an enjoyment, if you're if you're doing like a nightly prayer and it just feels really repetitive and just kind of like I'm just doing this to do this at this point, switch it up and try something different. Try some of the different spiritual disciplines we talked about. Maybe you try a fasting. Maybe you try a Sabbath. And what I talked about this weekend is even evaluating the first part of my day, Mm. the first part of my paycheck, the first part of my downtime, and really encompass in your head that we're entering into a relationship and try some different ways in which you can engage in that relationship that's going to lead um, to almost a different view in which you and God get to interact. Because Mm. if you keep interacting in the same way and in a way in which almost just kind of feels like a repetitive chore for you, then honestly, at the end of it, it's really easy to get burnt out. And I've seen that even in myself of if I have in my calendar every morning to do a Bible reading at some point, like if I'm not cognitively reminding myself of why I'm Mm. doing this, that it's a relationship in which I'm entering into, and I'm just doing this to check off that I read these five chapters, then that's where I think the relationship can go awry. And we can almost fall into that almost, um, chore checklist kind of we get almost bored with our faith does that make sense i think it does and i they feed each other is is the way in which i would say is talked about spiritual disciplines you discipline yourself because given enough time yeah you eventually will find a level of joy so you may not love giving the first 10 percent of your paycheck yeah to the church. You may not lo- love giving tithing in that way. You may not love like getting up in the first thing um, saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, first thing I'm going to do is pray or read my Bible. That may not come right away. Yeah. 
But we want to say, don't give up on it. Yes. Some of you have never, ever made that thing first. And what we're saying is you, you can't claim for God to be first if you're unwilling to put him first in some of these areas. Yes. Like you, you have to be able to put him first in some of these areas. It's when the rubber begins to meet the road and the conversation that I, that I jumped to is if you've been putting him first for a while mm-hmm. and, and you're not quite seeing that joy, then we're saying, hey, you can make some adjustments and not stop putting him first, yeah. but going back to the reason why you're doing that, yeah. reflecting on your, your source and your reasons yeah. and reevaluating so that you can you can have a better understanding. It's the guy who goes from an automatic 10% of online giving and you're like, man, I hate that getting taken out of my paycheck to go say, you know what, I'm going to physically write a check or physically give cash yes. to remind myself the f- reason why I'm, I'm giving is because God has blessed me or because it proves that he is, yeah. proves that he is first. And so some of those do's in the first is we would say, if you've never put God first, in one of those three areas, yeah. you need to you need to do that and try right. that. Yeah, you you need to do it not because we say so, but because it will cultivate the relationship with God. Mm-hmm. It will bring behaviors to to your faith. It'll bring some function mm-hmm. to your faith. It shows a spirit over self in a sense of where you're saying, God, I'm going to put you above myself in this moment, and enter into this relationship and see what happens. And then when you get to a point where it goes back to becoming a checklist and you're just simply trying to get it perfect, yeah. you got to go back and remember the heart behind it, yeah. the growth that you've seen in your own life so that it doesn't become that checklist. So that doesn't yes. become that, oh, I have to get it right. It has to be perfect. This is what I have to do. This is what I should do. This is what I ought to do. But it goes back to the level of of heart, it goes back to the level of growth that you've seen in yourself. Yeah. And so some reflection around that would be ideal. So this conversation may seem a little unresolved and it may seem a little nebulous here at the end, typical, uh, atypical to some of our other conversations. And so if you're listening to this, I just want to encourage you send us some questions that you have around some of what we've talked about so that we can provide some more clarity, some more direction, and maybe even some more contextualization to your questions and to your thoughts. And so this is not meant to be the period really on the end of a sentence. (laughs) This is to be more like an ellipses. So let's continue that conversation. Let's continue to become more like Christ Mm -hmm. as help each other do that through conversation so that generations to come will know the name of the Lord and what he has done. Hey, thanks for listening to the Generations Church podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation today. If you have questions, send us a message online at our website or on our social media. You can search us at Gen Church Wa or visit our website, mygenerations.church.